Welcome to Hunting for Nova Sparkus by Coho Creative. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Hunting for Nova Sparkus. On uh, this podcast, we welcome Michael Maggio. Uh, he's the president, managing partner of iWork. And this is going to be a really interesting discussion because Michael is a specialist in the industry of recycling. Now, I know the recycling industry a little bit. I have a brother-in-law who works for a recycling plant in Toledo, Ohio. I've visited that plant, and I have to say, recycling is not the sexiest industry. So even the most, uh, in, the most, in the more developed countries like the United States, visiting a recycling plant is certainly not the most pleasant experience. And Michael's focus is the recycling industry in less developed countries where working conditions of the laborers can be classified as close to life-threatening. So I'm probably jumping way too far into this conversation already. Uh, why don't we start, Michael, introduce yourself and tell us how you got here. Sure. Thanks, Ronald. Uh, my name is Michael Maggio, as you mentioned. I'm the uh, president and founder of uh, iWork, which is the Inclusive Waste Recycling Consortium. Uh, and as you said, waste is is not the, the sexiest of sectors to work in, although as of late, it's become a little sexier, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, so so how did I get here? You know, I think that's the best part of most of these stories is is how, how we all, you know, how we all arrived, arrived at this point. So, you know, my, my story starts uh, when I was working for Johnson & Johnson. Actually, it was my first day working at Johnson & Johnson, uh, where I was the worldwide head of packaging and engineering for their consumer division. Um, and on my first day, and again, the reason I remembered it was a Friday. Um, I started on a Friday for a lot of different reasons. But one was uh, they wanted me to fly to Brazil the next day to meet the worldwide uh, engineering organization. So I thought, oh, this is great. I've never been to Brazil. What a cool opportunity. Um, on the flight, my boss leaned over and said, oh, and by the way, um, we need you to write the sustainability goals for the department. It's going to be one of the things you're going to unveil when you get down there. And I thought, this is cool. Um, love sustainability. I came from a very sustainable company. Um, now I get to do it at Johnson & Johnson. And, and man, this is going to be awesome. Um, and the first goal I wrote down was that we were going to use 30% post-consumer recycled material in all of our packaging worldwide. And I thought, this is how you make a splash. Uh, so I went down and, you know, on my first day, I got up on the podium and uh, talking to a group of strangers at the time. And this is one of the goals that I you know, unveiled. And uh, the Brazilian teams, as Brazilians tend to do, they nodded and smiled and, you know, told me how great it was. And that night at dinner, the gentleman that worked for me said, oh, by the way, that goal, there's no way we can do that. Um, and I thought, oh, my God, what are you talking about? You know, I came from a little tiny company. We're Johnson & Johnson. He said, I, I have to take you tomorrow to you know, where we get would get recycled material before you're willing to sign up for a goal like this. So he did. And that was the first time I, I was introduced to a recycling facility in an emerging market. And to, to you know, in a, to, in a nutshell, um, it was horrific. Um, the conditions were terrible. Um, there were men and women running around without shirts and shoes. Uh, there were children there. Um, there were drugs and alcohol being consumed on site. Um, one woman was eating from a non-working conveyor belt as she was sorting plastic and aluminum and eating right from the, right from the belt. And I thought, my God, 
they're right. We can't, as a big company like J&J, as any company, um, you know, we, we can't buy from here, can't buy materials from here, um, and, and in good conscience say that we're doing the right thing. Um, and, you know, I always have a running joke and say, that's how you end up in the front of the New York Times and, and not in a good way. Oh, yeah. Right. So, um, you know, we, we took a step back and we said, hey, we, we can't abandon the goal because we know this is the right thing to do. Um, we want to re- eventually replace all of our virgin materials with recycled. So what can we do? Um, and I, and I got to tell you, the, the team and that organization, um, Johnson & Johnson and the engineering organization, the packaging group, uh, we really stepped up and took a step back. And, and designed a program where if we were going to take material from these facilities, we had to raise their level of assurance to the point where it not only met the Johnson & Johnson code of conduct, um, but could become a viable part of the supply chain. Uh, so we did that. And over the next three years, uh, we, we called it Project Phoenix at the time or, or our literal rise from the ashes, uh, which we thought was pretty cool. Um, not terribly creative, I know, but you know, cool for us as engineers. And we worked over the next three years, and in those three years, uh, certified three uh, cooperatives. Those cooperatives today are still certified and part of our, our growing network of socially certified cooperatives. And, you know, as part of that, the, the, the really great and financial benefit for the cooperatives who went through this long and difficult uh, certification process is Johnson & Johnson started buying material from them um, in, in rather large quantities. Um, so today, 30% of the Johnson Johnson Band-Aid cartons come from these recycling cooperatives. Um, and uh, Johnson Johnson uses a focused factory mentality. So about 90% of the world's Band-Aid cartons come from Brazil. So we can you know, kind of comfortably say about 90% of the world's cartons are made from 30% PCR from one of the socially certified cooperatives that we certified way back in 2006. You know, and then it, so it's kind of a cool background. And then, you know, just kind of really add to what a cool company, you know, J&J was, uh, you know, ultimately when I made my decision to leave um, and, and go into consulting and I wanted to pursue sustainability full time and, and working in waste, again, not the sexiest, but for me, it was cool. You know, I, I wanted to go out there and do this, you know, for other companies as well. And, and J&J, uh, you know, again, in their ultimate wisdom said, hey, um, if you're going to insist on leaving us and going and chasing your dream, uh, which we fully support, we want to be your first client. Uh, the only the deal is um, you got to bring others to the table. This is too big of a problem. Uh, we can't solve it on our own. So we'll we'll kind of support you in the beginning with the expectation that you'll bring others to the table. Uh, so in 2016, uh, we did just that. We formed the Inclusive Waste Recycling Consortium, and today companies like Johnson and Johnson and HP. Uh, and Flextronics and Kimberly Clark are are all working together um, with this common goal of creating shared value through these recycling cooperatives. And we we do that by focusing on uh, four major pillars. Uh, one is the social fingerprint or the social certification. Um, that's really about the human dignity. Two is we wanted to create fair trade or, or use the principles of fair trade and apply them to uh, these cooperatives. We wanted to bring some transparency to the system. Three, we ask our members that uh, it's it's not just enough to kind of philanthropically support the, the group. If you're going to be part of the group, we also ask you to buy materials and then use them back in your supply chain. And then the, the fourth pillar being that we'll do this in a shared way, um, right? So we'll share resources, we'll share learnings, we'll share costs. And, and by doing this, we're, our hope would be 
to generate a large enough network of cooperatives where we could start feeding um, many companies supply chains. So, so that's kind of our ultimate goal. Well, um, I think if we were in a hall with uh, 100 people right now, we'd all be kind of applauding. <laughs> I mean, this is an incredible story, Michael. I, and I, 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 you know, the, the human part of it, obviously, you know, immediately grabs me. But it's the fact that you've been able to change your career and pivot to really create some 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 incredible value for people that, you know, would have just not been looked at, would have been unobserved and not even, you know, come to our attention. So I'm, I'm just amazed. And uh, it's an incredible story. I know, Ellen, you've worked in companies like Procter & Gamble and Kraft. Uh, these type of, when this gets kind of put into, in front of you, there's no way you could say no, right? Or as a company, you'd want to be able to, take advantage of all these social benefits and um, mission-based kind of uh, superlatives. What's for me, what's nice to see is it is actually coming back around. So you are actually seeing companies not just say they're being sustainable and yeah, they put a recycle mark on the bottom of the package and they might be using a little bit of recycled material, but there's not a big effort being put against it. And now it's nice. And it's, you know, it's been several years since I was on the corporate side, but what you're doing is so much more evolved. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, you're actually enabling those larger companies to make a greater impact and, you know, really engage in this effort, which I think is what was needed. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, um, and you kind of touch that important point. Um, you know, I think the not only the U.S. but globally, companies went through this period of looking green. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the the companies, at least the ones that I've been fortunate enough to work with, are actually being green, and there's a there's such a big difference there. Um, you know, that that idea of extended producer responsibility, there there's a strong belief in this. This isn't like, hey, we're just trying to check a box. That's really easy to do. Um, you know, the companies that we work with are, you know, they're in for the long haul, which is nice. That's great. So. Now that this is up and running, uh, what are some of the new challenges that you're facing? Is it expanding the cooperative or is it finding more demand for recycled product or is it all of the above? Yeah, it, it's all of the above. I mean, honestly, so, you know, um, you know, is, is what we're trying to do is ultimately create this marketplace, right, of a socially certified web. Uh, we're kind of like the Uber of trash. Um, you know, we, we want to, we know that at some point, if we're going to get a lot more players for demand side, like, you know, the Coca-Colas of the world, the Pepsis, the really high demand, um, we've got to make sure there's enough supply, which means we have to keep certifying cooperatives, uh, maybe not even in just one country, but multiple countries. So I think that's kind of the horizon is, you know, how we expand our supply base. Um, but then, you know, the uh, the the truth too is you know we, we've got to have funding to do that so that comes from the demand side um, so we're we're right now seeking um, you know continuing to seek for new brand partners as well as uh, looking for ways to optimize that supply side and tell me a little bit about if you were one of these recycling plant owners in Brazil or um, what what kind of happens once you've been certified and and what are the benefits of being part of a co-op. Yeah, so so that's um, one of one of the really neat things is they are truly cooperative. So there's not a single owner. 
um, at least in most cases. Um, you know, they, they truly work on a cooperative. They have an elected president usually who still has one vote equal to everybody else, but tends to have more of a voice. Um, so, you know, what, what we do is we take them through SA8000 uh, uh, training, uh, which is done by Social Accountability International. It's, a, it's an NGO who we partner very close with. And uh, we, we take them through the health and well-being um, aspects of, you know, how to take care of themselves you know, what does it mean to forced labor and, and child labor? Um, you know, all, all of the labor laws, including uh, management systems. So one of our big goals is, you know, we don't want to be the EHS department for each cooperative. We actually want to train them. Um, so what we work to do is we build a social performance team within the cooperative. And then, um, you know, we train that social performance team to continue training the cooperative members. Um, so, so the benefits are are many. Um, you know, one of our favorite is on the health and safety side. You know, typically within one of these cooperatives, each waste picker, you know, injures themselves about 16 times per year. Um, you know, that means 16 days of no work, 16 days of no wages, 16 less days of material being recycled. Um, you know, 16 less days of you know uh, supply and demand being met. Um, we, we take that number from about 16 to just under two days. Um, so a significant improvement, um, you know, for all of those involved, for the demand side, the supply side, the individual picker. Um, and, and honestly, it's it's funny. It's, it's not that hard. You know, it's the simple things like, uh, you know, the use of protective gear. Um, it's not okay to eat off the conveyor belt. And here's why, you know, the kind of these simple trainings. And, and we, we've got a series of videos, which I can send you. Uh, you know, there, there's one, um, and she happens to be the first cooperative member I ever met. Her name is Betsy, um, and she's the president of uh, this cooperative in San Jose dos Campos called Cooperativa Futura, or the cooperative of the future. Um, and she says, you know, quite often, she says in the video, before the boys came, and, uh, you know, she considers me one of the boys because I'm significantly, she's, she's, I think, in her late 60s now. <laughs> um, she says, we didn't know that it wasn't okay to do these things. She said, we had no fear. Um, and that fear led to accidents and, you know, problems. And and now they don't have them anymore. And, you know, they have a health and safety board up on the wall that says, uh, I think they're about 475 days without an accident now. Right. So we've reduced them to, to zero. Um, that's better than some formal factories have, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome, awesome story. And I'm going back to my kind of intro. I know what it's like uh, inside of a recycling plant here in North America, I just cannot imagine. I've never visited one in 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 somewhere in uh, Central America or South America. But I, I I would think that this type of story, the way that you can promote as a brand owner the fact that this comes from um, this certified certified recycling source, would be a huge benefit. However. That's that's also a challenge too, isn't it? Because even on a small little box of Band-Aid, it's hard to promote the fact that this is where that Band-Aid box came from uh, without kind of getting into a very deep story that doesn't potentially connect or resonate with the Band-Aid customer or consumer. Yeah, yeah it, it, it is. Um, and it's funny, you know, there's something to do with the, I think the brands themselves um, you know, the brands that we've worked with up to date, they haven't also been, you know, real, uh, you know, 
they don't really communicate or talk a lot about it. You know, most of their principles are we do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. We're not out here to, you know, make a dollar on the goodness that we do. Um, so that's both, you know, a, a huge benefit because, you know, that tends to be the type of uh, uh, clients we attract. Um, those clients, again, do more than check a box. Um, they don't talk about it for all the right reasons, um, which leaves us, you know, kind of in a place where, you know, we're learning to market and communicate, you know, the goodness of this, you know, our, ourselves, which is an interesting path. Um, you know, again, we're not marketers, we're not branders, we're not, uh, you know, we're not creative, um, you know, creatively minded. Um, we, we're more of an engineering operational group who are just now learning to talk and communicate about it. Have you been in contact with um, some of the new startup companies like Loop or we recently talked to them as well as a company in Australia called ZeroCo, who is doing something very similar, not similar to you, but definitely going in Indonesia, working with a facility that's pulling plastic and they're cleaning it so they can use in their products. It seems like, I mean, I know you talked about a lot of the big companies, but I'm guessing there's a lot of these smaller companies that are popping up all over the place that really are looking for you know, more sustainable solutions that, you know, you are actually getting rid of plastic waste or, and you're bringing that back, cleaning it and putting it back into the product. Has that been an area that you guys have looked at? So, yeah, so it's, it's such a good question. Um, and, it, and it is more about the end brand or the, the you know, the consumer. The, the reality is there's an, an entire supply chain in between, uh, you know, so one of the things and, and uh, Loop, who's part of TerraCycle, um, I actually know Tom really well. Um, I've known them for a long time. The the reality is they're an incredibly important part. So although TerraCycle is not that big in Brazil yet, um, there are companies like TerraCycle, uh, like a Boomera, like a Grupo Hapasu, um, uh, one called Global Pet. You know, each one of these companies are are kind of master processors of hard to recycle material. Um, so we've been working on building that part of the supply chain. You know, when we take something from a cooperative, it's it's just squashed. Somebody has to take that squashed material and and wash it and grind it up and you know return it to a state where it can be turned back into a bottle or put back into a paper mill. Um, so yeah, the the supply chain um, and these companies that are some of them actually been around for quite a while, believe it or not. But they're they're uh, like as waste became sexy, this sector has become you know kind of cooler to be part of. Um, so it's kind of growing up together. So it's a neat, neat time to be part of it. So you mentioned, uh, obviously, J&J and, and Kimberly Clark and a couple of other, I guess, big CPG companies. Are, are you having, is it challenging attracting them to to this market or to, to your product? D depends. You know, I think like everything. Um, I had an ops professor who always said the answer to everything is depends. You know, some some have found us and some we've had to really go convince. Um, but again, I think when you find the right, uh, you know, the right person or the right company, it's really easy to explain, um, especially the ones who, you know, can kind of see a little bit deeper down when we start start talking about, you know, the, the people themselves. Right. We're not this kind of superficial track and trace data company. We're not uh, just in it for the material. You know, we're, we're trying to bring it down to the the realism of what is what's down there, uh, which is the people. Um, so again, one of the things that, um, you know, as you said, a lot of people are popping up in this space. A lot of companies like I work are popping up in this space as well. Um, so we spend a lot of time talking to brands and our brands and other brands about what, what makes us different. 
Um, and, you know, we always think, again, it's, it, it sounds a little cliche, but it's about the environment, it's about the economics, and it's about the social, right, or the people. Um, most companies do two of the three really well. We're trying to do all three really well, um, but build it on the foundation of the people. Is, is there, um, in terms of the business model, the, 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 the pricing of recycled material, um, obviously that the co-op is now producing, is that set by the co-op itself? How, how, how do you ensure that that fair market value is retained and uh, obviously goes back to the right place? Yeah, another great question. So uh, unlike the virgin market, uh, which is pinned to petroleum, uh, the recycled market is not. It's it's pinned to demand. Um, so what we tend to see is uh, if a big player, and it can be any big player, comes in and, and buys all of the PET, the price skyrockets and nobody else can afford it. Um, so one of the things we're trying to do is build the, uh, the a proper economic model, really. Um, and that kind of starts with several things. One is consistent demand. Uh, we know that the cooperatives we work with, if we can show them, hey, you know, maybe you got two reacts before, um, you know, or you ranged anywhere from 1.2 to 2.5 and you average two, you know, we'll always make sure you get two. Um, and, and the benefit of that is you're going to sell 60 tons every single month. You know, you're not going to have to sell it to 10 different people or take the price of the day. So we try to demonstrate kind of a stable market. Um, it's slow going and we're just getting started, but ultimately our goal, and I think we've done better, um, you know, in certain parts of the business where we've been able to create an economic model that works for the cooperative, although they don't see it right away. You know, they kind of see it over a longer term, um, you know, and then we're kind of working our way through the rest of the, the commodities now. Right. Okay. Yeah, that must be tricky and tough. It's It's trying. I have some very talented people down in Brazil who are, are, are pretty good at that. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. So what's the future? And um, what, are, what are you going to be doing for the next couple of years to expand and grow and, and amplify the message? Yeah, so, so, so recently, um, you know, we, we, we recently won. I can't, no contracts have been signed, so I can't go too deep into it. But we recently uh, participated and won a rather large RFP. Uh, which will expand us into Colombia, Vietnam, and Mexico. Um, by the end of next year, uh, again, knock on wood, hopefully everything goes goes proper, but we'll be in four countries uh, rolling out the iWork model and working with about 13, uh, 13 brands, uh, major brands. Um, so that's kind of the, the near future. Uh, longer term, you know, we've got some ideas, um, one of which is, you know, our, our goal here is really to take our, our process out into the world um, and touch as many lives as we can on both sides of the fence, the informal and the formal. Um, and one of the things we realize is we, we don't have to rebuild ourselves everywhere we go. Um, and that's part of, you know, where we're headed next is how do we take the component parts of iWork, you know, our social fingerprint, our process of working with the informal sector, you know, our digital platform, and, and insert that into other programs just to enhance what's already going. As I said, there's a lot of players out there. A lot of good is already being done. We just think we can become the, the standard, you know, and, and forgive the, the play here. But, you know, we want to be the I work inside like Intel became inside so many years ago. Interesting. You, you mentioned the formal and the informal, both sides of the fence. Can you just expand on that a little bit? 
Sure. Yeah, there there are millions of people, uh, you know, picking up and collecting trash who live on or below uh, the poverty line, you know, that make up the informal sector of, of waste and recycling in the emerging markets. Um, and there are millions of people in brands and companies uh, that, you know, have an extended producer responsibility, and we have to connect those two dots. So the formal side of the business world, or, you know, even business public um, side of the world, down to, you know, that individual picker who might be below the poverty line today, you know, we want to get them above it. Right. Okay. That makes sense. And I, I guess even in the informal side, there could be people that are just picking up waste on the streets and bringing it to recycling plants too, but, you know, finding kind of a means just to, you know, stay alive or get a, um, um, a minimum wage that way too. Yeah, make a, make a living. Um, you know, and, and, and that's really, um, you know, what it is. We, we, we've worked in cooperative systems up to this point. Um, I would call that the low-hanging fruit, believe it or not. And, you know, I described the conditions therein. There, there's a level beyond that, which are still people who live in landfills, still people who live in the streets, um, who are literally 12 hours a day picking up street-side trash in order to, to feed themselves and their families. Um, so, you know, we're trying to, that's also part of our horizon is, you know, we know that uh, as an example, if I take just Brazil, 20% of the recycling is done in cooperatives. The other 80% is still done on the, at the street level. Um, so we want to, uh, you know, we want to figure out how we get beyond. That's one of our uh, goals is that's where a lot of the supply comes from today. We want to try to corral that, the, not only the material, but the people and kind of bring them into the circle. Yeah, what we were seeing with um, with Zeroco and they going into Indonesia, a lot of the the bottles were coming in by fishermen going out in the morning mm-hmm. to fish, and then spending time after picking up plastic bottles and bringing it back to shore. So it's really you're right. I mean, there's it's coming from all kinds of places, but it's it is it's people just trying to make a living, and they're doing that as a way to to make ends meet. Right, which is sad as far as I'm concerned. It's when I saw the pictures, I was. A little shaken. Yeah, some of them can be pretty hard to see. Um, you know, some of the conditions. Matter of fact, I, you know, when I when I first started, I worked to really kind of capture the brand's attention. Um, you know, I have a photo that's kind of a zoomed in, and you can read a couple brand names on these boxes. And you know, I always would say, you know, what what do you see here? Oh, that looks like a this brand box or that brand box. And I like kind of zoom out a little bit further. Oh, it looks like a truck full of them. And zooming out further, and it was four kids you know, four 10-year-olds running around with boxes, throwing them in and said, you know, the point was this This is the real world out there. These are the kids that are yeah. collecting your yeah. brand and running it down the street. Is that really the the message that you want? Um, if no, let me know because we can do something about this. Yep, be your marketer. <laughs> in those days, it was desperation. Perfect. That was the, the, That was the early days. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and there's this training part too, right? Once once you're in this cohort, I, I guess the the people that you train can train others too. Is that become a kind of a train a chain rela- reaction? Yeah, we within a you know within a window, I would say. So you know, again, well, we we form the social performance team, um, and those became become the main focus of our you know, more advanced training. We still, we work with everybody in the cooperative, but we really focus on one specific team because they ultimately become the um, the management system, the keepers of the management system. 
Um, how many accidents occur each day? Where are the policies? Do they have, uh, you know, things under control? What happens if there is an issue, right? How do they, what, what procedures do they follow? So that group, again, becomes like your typical environmental health and safety department, you know, for these small cooperatives. So, you know, they're kind of taking up a leadership role in this space. Um, and it's neat, you know, it's really um, cool, you know, uh, and this it's, it's different now, but 20, 15 years ago when I started this, a lot of people couldn't read and write. Um, so we had to like develop uh, processes and procedures for people who couldn't read, um, you know, so signage and, and you know, how to understand what, why, why gloves were important or, you know, the, these different types of, of issues. Um, today, it's pretty cool. You go in and, you know, the social performance team, they're really proud of themselves and the work they've done and the files they have and the, you know, how they've turned their little business into a more formal business. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, my heart is warmed. It's uh, an incredible story. I, I, you know, I, I love hearing that. And um, it seems to me we need a lot more of this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually glad to hear there are competitors to iWork and that hopefully that's, it's, it's sprouting up other ventures that actually do good rather than um, just become, you know, commercial profit centers. But at least they're giving back to the community. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I said, we we realized a long time ago we weren't going to solve this the world's problem ourselves. Um, and you know, I really, I, I truly believe in ecosystems, and I think there's a tremendous ecosystem that can be built here um, because we all bring something important to the party. Um, and and there's enough waste out there, and there's enough resources and 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 funding behind this. Uh, matter of fact, I think if we got a little bit more focused on working together instead of everyone kind of running different directions, we not only would make more progress, but I think it would be, you know, a beneficial um, outcome for everybody involved. Yeah, it's the tide that rises all the ships, right? That's right. Thank you again, Michael, for sharing your story, giving us an insight into what iWork has been doing and what it's obviously going to be doing. Congratulations. Thank you that you've got. This podcast is called Hunting for Nova Sparkers. Again, you've already brought the spark to us, but um, is there any, do you have a Nova Sparkers for us uh, as we say goodbye to you um, on, on, on this day? You, you know, um, I, I think it's the same thing I always say, um, you know, awareness is such a huge, you know, huge part of this business. Um, you know, I, I had no idea. Um, so, you know, I think that's where the spark comes from, uh, you know, building an awareness, talking to other people about this. Um, as you said, the recycling facility in the U.S. is is they're they're not the greatest places. So when you really get down into, you know, the heart of India or Indonesia or Brazil or Vietnam, you know, the conditions are pretty, pretty rough. Um, so so it starts with awareness. And I think from that awareness is is born real change. Love it. Love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Thank you so much. Well, I'm very inspired with that conversation. Michael, that was a lot to think about. He gave us a lot to think about. Let's let's bring in Lane and see what thoughts she can bring to this conversation. I'm sure she has many. Hi, Lane. Hey, guys. That was very eye-opening. Inspiring. Yeah. Yes. 
And I, that that's where my thoughts are leading and how eye-opening it, it was and thinking about how waste is being handled across the globe and, you know, what those regulations are and what those processes are and how they really are stuck in a different time. And how can we expect to move forward, you know, in one area with this, with this problem, if the whole world isn't being involved and being caught up to speed on how waste should be handled, because this is a problem that's going to affect us globally. Um, no matter where the waste is, it's somehow going to come back to affect us no matter where you are. Um, and so I think that's just something concerning to think about. There hasn't been that anti or negative publicity against it. So, I mean, I still go back to this, however many years ago, people in factory, and we would talk about, we're not going to, you know, Walmart's not going to use this factory or that factory in China because of the, you know, the conditions of the, the employees and that something like that hasn't happened with regards to recycling. And it hasn't been publicized and people don't see it. People don't get that picture of somebody sitting in a pile of, of plastic and just, you know, what the implications are of their livelihood. Yeah, and I, I would just add here that in some ways, I work are um, a microcosm of what's going on. Uh, yes, globally, uh, there might be some variations of working conditions and um, they highlighted some some obviously terrible conditions that made Michael do the things he did. But in actual fact, many of the plants here in the United States aren't that much better. You know, they are just big factories trying to deal with uh, a, a problem where trash comes in so mixed, so dirty, so crunched that really it could it could be solved by many other things, including obviously how consumers can help with separation, but also how a municipality can help separate things from that moment where you know we're trying to pull put things in a blue or green bin, yet still things come and get mixed together before they end up at a recycling plant. And I think a lot of consumers put the responsibility on the recycling facility versus taking the responsibility themselves. And some of it is that they're just, they're not as well educated on what should go in, shouldn't go in. Do they need to rinse this first? Um, but I do think there's kind of a, you know, that's their job. That's the, that's the recycling company's job versus that's really my job. And they don't understand that breakdown. Yeah. Good to see that there are, improving standards and good to see that that these brands are taking note that it can actually benefit them it can create um i guess positive pr rather than negative pr that's the last thing you want yeah um and and they're by doing this they're contributing to a a, a real problem but actually trying to make things better but, you know it's done for them um it should be a no-brainer Yep. more companies to sign up to iWork. Agree. And I, I hope that he really can expand fast because it's, I mean, it's what he's doing is, is really great. So next week we have a very, very interesting guest from India. He's basically using a natural 
resource to manufacture his products. Yes. And it, it's really interesting. I love how we're going from Australia to <laughs> India. America and uh, now yeah. to India. We yeah. really are crisscrossing the world um, yeah. in, 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 um, with, with this subject. So really awesome. Can't wait. Yeah. This, this series has actually been really inspiring to me because we, it is really interesting to see what's happening in other countries. So look forward to that conversation with Gaurav. So please, please join us next week. See you then. Bye-bye. If hunting for Nova Spark has tapped into your curiosity or sparked any new thinking, check us out and get in touch with us at cohocreative.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Coho Creative.